You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hello and welcome to Writing Black here at the Griot Black Podcast Network. As always, I am your host, Maisha Kai. And this month of the Griot, we're doing something really exciting called Africa Amplified, where we are magnifying the voices, perspectives, and stories of the African diaspora. And uh, I'm really excited that uh, we have an incredible novelist with us today. Her name is Ayobami Adebayo. She is the author of two books, the first of which, Stay With Me, was an acclaimed acclaimed debut uh, on many best, uh, best book lists. And uh, it has been translated into multiple languages. And now she's back with a new one called A Spell of Good Things. This is out on February 7th. Another incredible, sprawling work of fiction with fascinating characters and intersecting narratives. And I'm so excited to have Ayobami here today to talk to us about this book and about um, how her culture is informing her work, because that's what we do here at Writing Black. So Ayobami, welcome to Writing Black. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Maisha. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I, I love this this book. Um, I'm, I'm enthralled by it for several reasons, but mainly because I think it's giving a lot of us, you know, as an American reader um, who has not spent the time I would like to spend in West Africa yet and has not been to Nigeria, it to me is a really um, exciting lens into uh, that culture, the kind of... Uh, not just the traditions, but the class struggles. Tell me about the origin of this this story, which is, it's a sprawling one. I mean, we've got over, it's over 352 pages, I think we're about yeah. the copy I have. Um, so this is not a short book. Uh, you really dig in and you really spend time with these characters and there's a lot of them. So tell me yeah. about how, how you dug into this. Thank you so much. Um, so I began thinking about it at some point, I think either late 2012 or early 2013. So mm. that's about 10 years ago wow. now. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it takes me a while to finish these things. Um, but it was something that happened to me, really, that I was coming back from work um, in the city that I'd lived in since I was about eight years old. And because there was traffic, we had to take a detour. And I ended up in this neighborhood that was quite impoverished and mm. at the same time unrecognizable to me. And um, I was in my mid-20s at the time and I really started thinking about how, really how I had been blind to this reality. How could I have lived in this place for this long and I'd never seen this. So mm. I, I think I carried that thought with me for about a year or two before I then started working on the novel, before I knew that this form was one of the ways in which I would think through some of the questions that I had started asking of myself um, after that moment. So that's how I started writing this book. You know, and, and that and you bring us right into that world that I mean, your book opens there, you know, it mm. takes us many other places, but it opens there uh, with a family who is really struggling, mm. a child, really, 
of a family who's really struggling and um and 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 he becomes this vehicle i think you know for understanding not just poverty and how it mm-hmm. functions but how close all of us teeter to that reality right like mm-hmm. um you know his vulnerability his struggles his mm-hmm. uh the things that his parents are grappling with mm-hmm. because you're also really dealing with a discussion there's a discussion of depression here and i think there's a a humanizing that you're doing with this family um that's really striking or uh, to me was incredibly striking on his way back he would pass by this vendor's stand flipping through the newspaper so that this wicked man could see but before all that could happen his father had to find the right job vacancy and so eniola took the newspaper mumbling something that could be mistaken for a thank you and began to run away from the vendor and his smelly mouth. In terms of trying to articulate this existence that obviously was not your own, um, mm-hmm. at least from what you just said there, mm-hmm. how did you go into uh, kind of teasing out that humanity from, mm-hmm. from this family? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. Um, so with this book and... Uh, I think with any other thing I'm writing or I'm going into, particularly when it's fiction, um, I can begin with an idea, but I don't start until I feel like I know the people, you know, or Mm. I feel like I have a person that I'm interested in and that I get to know over the period of a few years. So this novel, um, there are like nine perspectives in it, you know, um, but it begins with this young boy for me. He's, he's, he is really the heart of the novel for me. And I mm-hmm. didn't feel confident that I had a book until I really knew him, you know. And for me, that process, his, the first thing about that process is that it takes forever. <laughs> it takes so much time, you know. Um, but it's one that I really enjoy because I do feel like I'm discovering a person. And sometimes what that looks like is that I I sit with them and ask them questions, you know, about their life, um, about what they're interested in, about what their aspirations are. So I have sometimes I have these sessions where I have like 20 questions. I do like 20 questions wow. for the character. And even though a lot of it never makes it into the novel, I feel that it's very important because... It gives me, when I'm writing, a sense of clarity about who I'm creating. And I think Mm -hmm. that translates to the reader, you know, that there's more that you know about the character than is even necessary for the page. Um, Mm -hmm. So with him, part of it was sitting with him and um, answering those questions and understanding him um, and also the time that he was leaving in, you know, and the community that he's in, all of that, you know, comes together in forming the character. So particularly when it's very distant from my own personal experience, I really want to take that time and be very careful, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and to make sure that I'm really writing a human being, you know. I love that idea of 20 questions. I think, you know, um, and, and that idea of character development. I'm, I'm so, uh, you know, we, we started this podcast to talk about 
you know, not just what Black writers write about, but how. And so I think that's such Ooh. an incredible uh, piece of process to share with our listeners. Um, and I want to talk more about this, these characters uh, in just a moment, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more Writing Black. All right, we are back with Ayobami uh, Adebayo, and uh, we are talking about her new book, A Spell of Good Things. One of the things that really, really struck me um, in this narrative, you know, obviously we are starting with this child. We are starting with this specific neighborhood um, and the people within it um, who don't have a lot of money. But we're also, you know, you span a, a society in this book, you know, and we're really talking about different socioeconomic classes and experiences and expectations. But expectations, you know, these these familial expectations and obligations and traditions, you know, it permeates kind of every level of, you know, no matter who you're talking about, you're seeing these people kind of kind of butting their heads up against whoever it is they're expected to be, or at least that's how it translated to me. Um, was that like a very deliberate theme uh, that you were trying to tease out here? Or would you say it's it's kind of more of a a, a broader cultural commentary um like how, how did that factor in for you as you were kind of building out this story and these stories within the story um thank you i i would say that it's very deliberate um it's a very nigerian novel and it's something that i think is in the water uh -huh. in many nigerian okay communities and families, um, whether in Nigeria or in the diaspora, mm -hmm. um, that there are very specific expectations, you know. And I'm 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 always curious for me about the people who choose not to meet those expectations or who cannot meet those expectations. Um, or the moment where people realize well, maybe I'm not interested in being this person that everybody wants me to be. So I think that that's a, a, something that I'm always interested in when I'm writing about many Nigerian communities or a Nigerian mm -hmm. family, that I'm looking at that tension and how people manage that. Because I think it's very complex, um, particularly when they're familial, um, just because of how intimate the relationships are and they can be claustrophobic, you know, they can mm -hmm. be suffocating the people that they love, you know. So um, people can end up really suffocating people, other people in the name of love and affection and um, wanting the best for them. I mean, absolutely. What's the meaning behind that? Tell, tell us about the, the title, A Spell of Good Things. Yeah. So... Um, there's a novel that I really love <laughs> by another Nigerian writer called Everything Good Will Come. So mm. um, I, I wanted something that paid homage to that uh, book um, as a title. So I worked with a number of options of good things. But I, at the heart of it is really one of the characters who is one of the people I really like in the novel. Um, it was one of the mothers and just her own attitude, how she's um, very, she's aware of how fragile everything is. You know, she's mm -hmm. aware of the fragility of um, a good fortune, 
you know, in life. She's very fortunate. She's very aware of it. Um, mm -hmm. But she's also very aware that it can hold change in a minute. And um, yeah, so that's, that's where the title comes from. I I love that sentiment and I I love I think I know which character you're talking about and I love her. <laughs> We're gonna talk more about a spell of good things in just a moment when we come back with more writing black. All right, we are back with writing black and with Ayobami Adebayo, whose book uh, A Spell of Good Things comes out on February seventh. Um, this is her second novel. Um, and I love that you described it as a very Nigerian novel. I thought that was actually really cool. You know, I, I'm, I'm a longtime reader, a literature lover. I mean, that's why I started this podcast. Um, and I remember, you know, growing up studying literature, you know, you'd get maybe get tossed a handful of writers from the diaspora, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe a couple of West African writers, you know, maybe you'll get a Chebe or, or mm -hmm. maybe you'll read The Joys of Motherhood, which I know you also yeah. mentioned in this book. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but one of the things that's been so exciting to me about uh, the last decade, maybe a little more, is that we've really uh, seen this huge influx of writers from across the diaspora. Um, mm. And I think especially a lot of West African writers mm. as well, really making their way, you know, their work making their way to American readers mm -hmm. and, and us getting a real chance to hear these firsthand narratives, whether they're fictional or not. Um, and I think, you know, those of us who can trace our origins back to West Africa, it's, it's, it's I, I think can be very special to have mm. a better um, sense of connection other than, mm. you know, uh, how we translate things here in America, oh. how we, you know, because I think, you know, for an American, you know, you sit and you think, oh, Nigeria, you know, what you might know is like, maybe I have a Nigerian American friend or a first gen friend. And you, so we hear about the demands that you were just discussing from a different perspective, like, oh, you know, there's this expectation of success. There's this expectation that you do these certain things. Um, and we have our own version of that, obviously, but Ooh. It's so, I think, poignant and um, beautifully illustrated mm -hmm. in A Spell of Good Things. I think mm -hmm. uh, the way that you are, you know, it's it's nuanced. It's a nuanced oh, conversation maybe is the best you. way to say that. Um, you. Did you find uh, choosing to go the path of being a writer, did you find yourself butting your head up against those expectations? <laughs> I had to ask. Um, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, and I'll tell a joke that I often tell, um, and you might have heard this before, that in a Nigerian family, there are four career options. You know, you either become a doctor or you become mm -hmm. a lawyer or you become an engineer mm -hmm. or you become a disgrace to your family. You know, those are your options. Um, so, I mean, for me, I think I was very fortunate. Um, my mom was very supportive, you know. Mm. Um, she's, 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 she's a big reader. She reads a lot. So I, I think that sort of made her um, inclined, you know, to support me. Um, and mothers play a really big role in this new novel of yours mm. as well. Um, I mean, there's, there's a few, uh, you know, obviously marriage is a big topic of conversation mm -hmm. in this book um, and, the, and marriage as a vehicle. <laughs> not in a romantic sense, but Ooh. as a vehicle. Um, 
a vehicle for stability, but mothers, these, you know, um, who, who is, who isn't, who, who mm. decides to be what mm. that means, what the mm. responsibilities of motherhood are. Mm. Um, why was that a theme that you mm. were attracted to? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was saying to someone the other day that I, I'm very, very interested in Nigerian women of a certain age, you know, say from 55 to 65. And I'm very interested in how they reconcile the contradictions of their life, you know, mm. um, because I, I mean, I've been around a lot of them. My mom has four sisters, so I grew up around a lot of aunties and they're always more complicated than they present themselves to be, you know, they're always more complex than mm-hmm. they allow themselves to be seen. So I'm, I'm, for me, that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this mothers, you know, to really drill down into um, how complex they are as characters and to give you a sense of what they might seem like on the surface. And then you really go into their own perspective and you have an, another sense of how they see their lives and um, how they think about the compromises that they've made or the choices that they've made of their life. And that's why, you know, the structure of this novel, I feel is very useful in that sense, that you get to see these characters from the perspective of, say, their children. You know, you can see their children looking at them and having opinions about who they are. And then you get to them and then you see, you know, how they've come to become the women that they are, you know, and how... For some of them, this really was the only viable path that was available to them, you know. And mm-hmm. maybe you live with some compassion, you know, for their place in the world, um, even if you don't necessarily agree with the choices that they they've made. So that that was um, that was important to me. Um, the other thing that I, I I always sort of wanted to write about was just how. I think that in many families, they are the ones who anchor the family, you know. Mm-hmm. They are they are the real anchors, you know. And, and mm-hmm. I wanted to honor that in, in the structure with which this novel, you know, is told. Yeah, that's abundantly clear here. And I want to talk more about that. Um, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more Ayubami Adebayo and Writing Black. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Bring your friends for the shenanigans and stay for the edutainment as Panama debates culture wars, Janet Jackson versus Michael, Black Fashions, Black Mendations, and everything Black. Listen today on the Griot mobile app for all the Black culture conversations you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. And we are back to continue our discussion on A Spell of Good Things, which is the forthcoming book from Ayobami Adebayo. Um, we were just talking about mothers and how they're the anchors of many of these families. And I think that's true globally, mm-hmm. <laughs> really. But, um, you know, in these families, especially, you know, one of the things that, uh, and I, I love what you were saying actually about perspectives you know there and structure this is a this is a you you 
you read books or even, you know, collections of short stories where, you know, maybe the narratives intersect and, mm. you know, people are telling mm. different stories or the same story from different perspectives. Mm. But this was a very effective structural choice, mm. right? Where we're getting, um, even though you're talking about these characters in third person, mm. um, we're getting this it's like a an ever-shifting lens mm. um and i don't know that it's an easy one to execute so talk to me about how you decided on this structure and mm. how you made this work for you i know this was a 10-year process so i i just imagine it wasn't easy <laughs> but, <laughs> but i would love to hear about like how does that how like from a process standpoint mm. how are you i mean are you just picking a different character to focus on from time to time like how does that work Hmm. Um, before I enter that, can I just say that I'm really loving this conversation? Um, oh, of course you can. I really <laughs> am. Loving it too. You know, and, and I think that's one, one of the things that's so important about this podcast, you know, is that you get to talk about process because, as I'm sure you know, sometimes the questions you get are not about process. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so I'm really happy to talk about this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so um, with structure, I, I I tend to fail my way into the right structure. Mm, you know, I, I like hope that. that changes because you know, um, it, I hope it gets easier. Um, but I, I think that with this book, for instance, I began with. Um, just two perspectives, you know. So mm -hmm. um, the first draft was going back and forth between two characters. So there was Aniola, and then the main character in the first draft was the younger sister from the other family, you know. Okay. So it was a different, very different book. And at some okay. point I realized she couldn't carry the weight of our family's um She is fascinating, so, though. Yeah, I really <laughs> like her. Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, like, so, so, I mean, I started out with two people of about the same age, you know, as being mm -hmm. the, just the two of them in the whole novel. And then by the time I got to the second draft, I realized, oh, this is not the person, you know, for this other half of, of the story. And then I went for the older sister. And then by the time I was done with that draft, I looked at it and I said, you know, I need to look at um, I think this would be more effective even looking at this parts of the story from um, the perspective of other characters. Um, so uh, I wish I could answer by saying that I had a master plan from the beginning, but um, I just write my way into structure really. Um, for some reason, I tend to end up with books that, um, even if I say so, tend end up being pretty well structured. Um, mm -hmm. but I think it's really just repeating over and over again. And then I think the key for me is really the characters. Once I'm very clear about who they are and I've teased out enough about them, um, I know exactly who should tell what part of the story, you know, um, and how they would respond to that part and of the how story. they would That's respond, you know, so mm -hmm. the key is always the character. Um, but generally in my experience so far, I tend to feel into it. So I, I start thinking, oh, this is the structure. And then I'm like, no, this doesn't work. And then I keep, you know, tweaking it, tweaking it until I mm -hmm. get to something that I feel, oh yeah, this is it now. 
I don't know if you should aim for that to change. I think, you know, um, first of all, I don't think there's any wrong answers when it comes to writing. Uh, you know, I mean, there's wrong writing, I guess. But, you know, I think the process itself, the, one of the reasons I'm so interested in process and interested in each writer's process is because I know it's different. And I think... Um, you know, because we all think differently, we all learn differently, we all we all process things differently. That that to me is a great answer. I think you know, and I think this idea of leading with the characters uh, is a great answer too, because I think like character development is is I mean that's really what draws us in. That's what gets us attached to to a narrative. Um, I, I want to talk about um, some of the other. Uh, bits of humanity and, and research that you teased out here. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a moment with more Writing Black. The Grio Black Podcast Network is here and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. All right, Ayubami. Um, we uh, we're just talking about uh, you know your your process and character development, um, and you weave in some very you know this is a work of fiction, but obviously what makes these characters I think so relatable and so um, I mean you really do get attached. You you care what happens to them, and I think that this is true of any good book in which you get attached is that you've teased out something in them that feels deeply relatable. Um, one of the things that's really striking, striking to me, um, in a spell of good things is how you handle depression, you know, this discussion of, um, somebody going through a mental health crisis that the people around him are not necessarily equipped to understand, um, from, from multiple levels. Right. Um, did you? Is that reflective? Was that, did you feel that that was like culturally reflective? I know like from a black American perspective, you know, we talk about the obstacles to mental health, right? You know, in our communities and that we don't discuss it enough. I mean, that's, that's like an ongoing thing here. Um, And this felt very culturally linked as well in terms of how people were responding to this character's crisis. Um, But I thought you handled it so well. Like where did how did you, how did you hope to approach that? And how, why was it um, such a key part of this narrative? Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I absolutely agree with your read of it. Um, I think it's definitely culturally linked. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's still a lot of progress to be made in terms of how we interact, you know, with people when they're having um a mental health issue, you know, a mental mm-hmm. health crisis. I think that um, there isn't as much awareness or as much grace as if someone was having a physical health issue, for instance. Right. You know? um, right. And with this one in particular, um, it was a little personal. Um, so there was there was this uh, thing that happened in my home state in Nigeria um, in the early 2000s, um, in the year 2000, actually, where teachers were just retrenched, you know, 
a whole generation of teachers were retrenched overnight, literally. And one of my friends at the time... Meaning they were fired for people who were fired. like... Yeah, yeah they the, were just people fired. People are not familiar with that term. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So they were just fired, you know. Um, and there were all kinds of political reasons why that happened. Um, and for me, so there, there was a friend that I had at the time. We were, we were in secondary school. And a mother was one of the teachers who was fired. Mm. And she went into... Uh, um, a depressive episode that lasted a few years after that. And I could see that impact on my friend, you know, over time. And I really wanted to think about it with this book. And this is something that happened in 2000. This is now 2023. I'm also very interested, you know, in all the um, policy tragedies that are forgotten. You know, um, it's a small state in Nigeria. Most people don't remember that this happened. But I'm very interested um, in what that means, you know, for the people that were affected directly um, and uh, intimately by it. Um, I love that answer, and I, I think it's so relatable again to to so many of us as somebody who is you know had my own experiences with anxiety and depression that was the way that you tease that out I felt was so effective and so true it was so true like the way that that manifests um we're gonna talk a little bit more I think that I, I want to talk a little bit more about the politics when we come back so we're gonna take a quick final break and we'll be back with more writing black all right. Ayobami Adebayo and her book, A Spell of Good Things, is what we are discussing today on Writing Black. Um, this is your second novel, uh, which, by the way, congratulations. <laughs> That's not a small thing. Um, we were just talking about, like, you know, policies and how people have a short memory when it comes to policies. And there is also, obviously, this political component of your book. There is this you know, there of of the many plots that are intersecting and, and, and intertwining here and and these ways that people are affecting each other in ways that they couldn't even know. Um, you had this political plot going on. Carol was angry. After one of her apprentices read the notice of the meeting out loud to her, she threw it across the room into a dustbin. Some politician's wife wanted to give a talk to the tailoring association and their president had agreed to welcome the woman during their next meeting. And, of course, the president thought it meant something to mention that this politician's wife was the daughter of a tailor. Carol was almost sure this was a lie. Those people would claim to be your kinsmen if it would help them get into power. Um, and there's like a bit of intrigue there. And, and, you know, all political systems are loaded all across the world. Um, what were you trying to tell us a little bit about the one that you grew oh. up in? <laughs> I mean, I, I think um, one of the, one of the reasons why I write about particular things, I, I sometimes I write about the things that I'm most perplexed by, but I, I just I don't get it, you know, like mm. the things that I am frustrated by, you know, and writing is sometimes a coping process for me. Um, or that I bring it into, I guess, a, a space that I have some control over. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that 
with the politics in this book, I think I, I was just trying to think through the injustice of it all. Um, how, yeah, in my opinion, um, I don't think anybody can insulate themselves against um, the consequences of um, mm -hmm. building a society in this way. You know, I, I think that what many people have um, as a result of the class that they are in is an illusion of insulation, you know. Um, mm. And I think he was, and, and I think he, he, he was, um, you know, there's this thing about middle-class Nigerians, which again, everything good will come by Sefiata. I think she got, she got that class of people right. Or, which is the sense that the response, you know, is often there's insecurity, you build a higher fence, you know, there's no water, you drill a ball, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's no light, you buy your generator, you know, and you, you sort of insulate yourself a little bit from um, the extremes of things that are going on. But I, I feel that it's, it's, it's a bit of an illusion, you know, and the earlier we all realize that, the better, you know. Um, so, so, so that's for me what's at the heart of some of the politics that plays out in the book. Um, it's to look at that community and how they have a collective destiny, you know, even if they don't all realize it, you know, they don't realize it yet. That is, first of all, you know, I love it when I talk to writers and you can tell that they're writers by the way that they talk. You're so poetic in the way that you put these things. Um, and and I think that's true for middle class people around the world. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this sense of having like made it, but being insecure. Um, I think that that's a, that tenuousness of existence. Um, that tenuousness of whatever we think security is and, and how that's even, even that is a constantly moving goalpost. Um, I think, I think is really, really striking. One of the things that inspired this Ooh. podcast was, uh, you know, that I don't think since, you know, the black arts movement or maybe the Harlem, the Harlem Renaissance, obviously, but that there's been a more exciting time to be a black writer. There's a, you know, in terms of there being platforms deliberately, created for us, uh, more receptivity mm. to what we have to say, um, for better or worse in some aspects. Um, and, you know, we were speaking earlier about how it is, there also seems to have finally been this mm. openness for, I think, you know, a transatlantic conversation that has not been mm. happening as frequently mm. as it should, um, that I find particularly as an African-American, so to speak, I find particularly mm. exciting. Um, is that excitement shared, um, you know, uh, in Nigeria or West Africa or in the circles that you're traveling in, um, in your country? Is that is it is there that same sense of, oh, look, we're gaining some ground here in terms of our perspectives or, or is this just one of those other cases where we're just getting turned on to something that's been there the whole time? Um, I think it is. Um, I, I think definitely that that excitement is shared. And I mean, I love what you said about the transatlantic conversations, you know, that are happening. And for me as a reader, you know, 
and also as a writer, I'm very, very interested in that hooking up more and more and more. Um, yeah. For the continent, for all of its diaspora expressions, you know, I think that we need yeah. to be talking to each other. I think it's very essential, you know, for us as a people. Um, I mean, yeah. in terms of say Nigeria in particular, I think that the last decade and some have been so, they've just been so important in terms of uh, the kinds of books that have been coming out. Um, yeah. And it's just an exciting time. Um, again, I'm speaking as a reader, you know, yeah. first of all, you know. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm yeah. seeing all the books that I really want to read now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, when I talk about that, you know, I think there's so much that we still um, don't understand about each other. I love, like, the reason I use the term transatlantic conversations, like, you know, sometimes you'll catch these back and forths on social media, like on Twitter, and it's like, you know, uh, it's so clear how much we don't understand about each other, how much we might you know, inherently resents or, or just, you know, it's, and, and I, I love the way that books in particular open up that conversation and open up that oh. pathway for understanding, um, or, or just better, you know, or, or empathy, empathy. I'm, I'm big on empathy. So that's always a really big thing for me. And we will be right back with more writing black. All right. Welcome back to writing black. So we were talking about this being a very exciting time to be a writer. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to us all feeling like we're part of the diaspora in a, in a more integrated way. But um, who who do you read? Who do you read? Who excites yeah. you? And who do you think we should be reading? Huh. Um, um, so, I mean, most recently... Um, in thinking about, you know, um, where we just left off the conversation, I remember mm -hmm. reading um, Ongoing um, mm. by Yajasi. Yajasi, yes. I love, yeah. I love that book. Yes. I really love that book. I mean, it's so yes. good. Yes. It's so Actually, good. you know, it's so funny because uh, Transcendent Kingdom... Um, mm -hmm. which I think is her second novel. Yeah, it's a second there were novel. some parallels there. I was, I was thinking about that book when I was reading yours um, yeah. in terms of the amount of research you clearly did, the medical research to, to put into this book. And I, I was thinking like, wow, do you just like pull that out of the, like, where, how do you even find that out? Like some of these terms <laughs> and like, you know, what you should be reading. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that's someone whose work is very important to me. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. going with that book that, I, that yeah, I was telling everybody, you have to read this. You have to read yes. this. You have to read this. Yes. Home um, by Yajasi. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Um, also, most recently, um, Brit Bennett. Um, okay. Really love the novels. Um, and I... I really love Sefiata's novels in, in to answer the question of who should we be reading. She's one Nigerian novelist that I wish more people were reading. Um, give, give the name again, just Sefiata. Okay. okay. So our first novel is called Everything Good Will Come. Yes. Okay. Um, so the so book you were referring book. to earlier. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And um, I mean, those are the three that come to mind immediately now. 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to get off this call and remember like 20 other people that I should have mentioned. <laughs> uh, well, you can, you can email them and we will, and we will tell our, tell our listeners and our fellow readers exactly what they absolutely. should be listening to. I will, I will happily add them to our book guides. Um, because as, as we've you. noted, this, this is an important transatlantic conversation that should be ongoing. Um, yeah. And, you know, obviously this is your second novel, which, you know, in and of itself is a tremendous feat. These, you said these take a long time for you to tease out, but are there other ideas already percolating for what's next? <laughs> I um, have to ask. Yeah. Yes, actually. I, I have a couple of ideas. I'm trying to settle in on something. Um, okay. Well, in the meantime, enjoy this one. And I hope the yes. response is as tremendous as your first, if not bigger. Um, oh, and, you. you know, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Ayobami. Uh, for our listeners, that's Ayobami Adebayo. The new book is A Spell of Good Things, and it is out February 7th. Highly recommend. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation as well. So thank you for joining us on Writing Black. Thank you so much. I had a really, really good time. Good. I love hearing that. <laughs> and we'll see the rest of you next week. <laughs> now, this is the part of the podcast where I talk to you about some of my favorite books, you know, with a little segment we like to call My Favorites. And, uh, you know, in honor of Ayobami, you know, I just want to say, like, the writers who are coming out right now from across the African continent um, are, are really special. But there's another Nigerian writer that I really, really love. Um, Akwake Meze um, is a tremendous writer. Um, they are, uh, you know, writing across genres. There's been children's books and uh, I believe some poetry, fiction, nonfiction. This memoir, Dear Sandrin, a Black Spirit memoir is really, really gripping and fascinating and just, I mean, it it, it took me out. So I, I highly recommend uh, getting into Amezi's work. Um, Yajasi, as uh, Ayubami noted, is also an incredible, incredible writer. Um, uh, Yah is Ghanaian-American, a first-gen, um, and her work really... Um, takes us back and forth from um, her Ghanaian roots to here in America. Um, and it's, it, she really, I think, taps into that experience of being first gen um, in a really poignant way. I mean, her, her writing is just incredible. It is transcendent. And her second novel is Transcendent Kingdom, which I also recommend. Now, the third book I'm going to recommend is not by an African writer, but it's Really a fantastic um, effort. And this is by Catherine E. McKinley. It's the African Lookbook. Now, some of you might know, I'm also the lifestyle editor here at The Grio. So I love books. I love aesthetics. I love all things. I love, I love fashion. And this is a visual history of over 100 years of African women. And this is, um, having spoken to Catherine, um, she runs the McKinley Collection, um, which is one of the, I think, biggest... Uh, collections of original African photography. Um, and one of the things I love is that it really draws us out of this colonialist narrative that people have about Africa and really shows uh, African women as the arbiters of 
uh, style and 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 class and distinction that they are uh, and have been for generations. So, if you love a good picture book, a, look, a little coffee table read, I highly recommend the African Lookbook. And that's it for this week. We will also be putting out a guide of other African authors you should get into. So, stay on the lookout for that as we continue Africa Amplified. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of Writing Black. As always, you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts.